Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. So this morning, um, uh, before I pray, I just want to say that um, the chapter is called Self-Denial. And that should not be confused with Jesus' um, mandate in John 12 to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. It's a different kind of self-denial. It's the wrong kind of self-denial. And, it, uh, and basically, I'm going to explain this morning why we don't become more like Christ by doing exercises of, of suppressing the, fre- the flesh is what we're talking about. So this chapter could easily be called Suppression of Your Flesh, and that doesn't work in terms of becoming more like Jesus. So would you just pray with me, and we'll talk about what this means and what it doesn't mean. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much this morning for the opportunity just to understand a little bit more what spiritual growth means and what it doesn't mean. And Lord, we're really in the middle of a worldview Shift from away from American churchianity theology that uh, that has to do with WWJD bracelets and and trying harder and and moving into the understanding that we died with you Jesus on the cross and that we have been raised with you to live a new life in the Spirit that has nothing to do with rule keeping but everything to, with, to do with an intimacy with you and allowing you to live your life through us. And so, Lord, as we, as we make that shift in worldview from self-effort to resting in Christ, from straining and striving to abiding in the vine, Lord, I just pray that you will, you will just, uh, the Holy Spirit, just come and open our eyes, help us see the truth that sets us free. And, Lord, I pray for your anointing upon me right now as the messenger of the morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with a joke. Uh, I hope this is not an offensive joke. It really makes the point well, and I heard it this week. Um, uh, I had breakfast with, with uh, Kim and Greg Bachman, and uh, their pastor told this at the church that they feel called to, and he told me, just as we were leaving uh, the restaurant, he told me this joke, and so um, it, was, it was funny to me. I laughed, but... Please don't be offended if, if, if this doesn't set well with you, okay? Because it's making a point. There was a, there, the, big disclaimer, there, there was a, a farming uh, family from up northern, in northern Ohio that got invited to this big agri- agricultural convention in Columbus. And they had never been out of their county. And so they, you know, just, just died in the wool, rural farm family. And so they, they, they drive to Columbus, and, and they get there. They find the hotel where this convention is being held. And the, they, they go in, and they're trying to figure out how to register. And, and the wife is just absolutely enamored with all the, the beauty of this big hotel lobby. And, and she just kind of goes wandering off looking at all the lights and the furnishings and everything while the farmer is getting them registered, their room registered. He gets the room card key and uh, he and his 12-year-old son are there at the counter, and they turn around, and they, they had, I mean, there were no two-story buildings in their town, and uh, they had never seen an elevator before. So they turn around just as the elevator doors open, and this elderly woman walks into the elevator, and the doors close. And, and they're, they're like, 
what in the world just happened to this woman? And they're standing there staring at this elevator door. 30 seconds later, the doors open and this beautiful young woman walks out. The farmer turns to his son and says, boy, go get your mom. Okay. All right. If you're offended, just don't tell me. Okay. The point is that the elevator did not transform the old lady into this beautiful young woman. And there are many ways that we try to transform our own selves into the likeness of Christ that don't work any better than an elevator. Elevator's not a time machine. It won't make you younger if you get on and off the elevator. And neither will some of the methods that I'm going to be talking about this morning. You know, uh, in, in America, churchianity, and I, it's kind of a caricature on, on Christianity, but there's so much wrong theology being taught in the American church. And um, it's really sad. And uh, there are a lot of wrong ways to try to get rid of the domination of the self or the self-life or the flesh, as we call it, and, and try to be more like Jesus. And we want to be like Jesus, right? I mean, that's the goal. We want to be like Jesus. And um, like the old farmer, we get the wrong impression of how to transform from a life dominated by sin and self into a life that, that is dominated by the indwelling Christ and our union with him. And that's the goal right there. And so I would say, um, let, me, let me just say this as another disclaimer. There are a half dozen scriptures at least that completely uh, are misunderstood by, by, uh, by well-meaning Christians, well-meaning Christ followers. Uh, they just, they've been either taught wrong or they've read it and they understand it wrong. And so uh, Dennis and I have talked about actually writing a book together on some of these misunderstood passages and I'll give you a couple. Um, and, and some of you will be shocked that, that you got it wrong too because it's it just so common in the American church to understand things this way. I have heard, as over my 33 years as a pastor, I have heard this scripture misquoted more times than I can count. And it, the, 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 misunderstand, or the misinterpretation goes like this. God will not put on you more than you can bear. God will not put on you more than you can bear. Do you know it does not say that in Scripture? It's not in there. You can't find that. But people quote it every day like, like, like it's in there someplace. How many of you have experienced burdens that were more than you could bear in this life? Yeah. Yeah, I certainly have. Guess who got me through? <laughs> it was... It, I fell under the load that I couldn't bear, and Jesus picked me up and got me through. Let me share what the Scripture actually says that people misquote. It's actually 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says this, No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to humankind. So we're talking about temptation, not burdens. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. He's not going to allow a temptation to sin to overtake you. That He's not going to provide a way out of that so that you don't have to sin. And usually it's just through leaning on the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus' uh, temptation is knocking at the door. You answer the door because if I do, I'll blow it. That's how we do this. 
Here's another scripture that people misunderstood or misunderstand. Paul in 1 Timothy verses 15 and 16 says this. <laughs> he says this. The grace of God has been given to me. The grace that I'm preaching, he's talking about. The gospel of the kingdom, the grace of God that has come to me, the worst of all sinners. I didn't deserve his grace. I was persecuting the church. I was killing Christians. I was, having, I was on my way to have a bunch of Christians arrested in Damascus when the Lord met me and said, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? He's like, Timothy, if I can get saved, and I was the one who was killing the church and arresting Christians and persecuting the Lord Jesus Christ, if he can forgive me and give me grace, he can give it to anybody because I was the worst sinner in the world. Was is the key word. He's not telling uh, Timothy that he's the worst of all sinners. No, he's an apostle. When he introduces himself to, in, in every letter, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ called to preach the good news of the, of the gospel of the kingdom. That was his identity, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, a slave, a, a bondservant of Jesus. Not the worst of sinners. That's what he used to be before salvation. So, you know, there's so many scriptures that are misunderstood. Well, here's another scripture, and we're going to refer to this this morning. We're talk about this. Romans 7 is one of the most misunderstood passages of scripture because it's always taken out of context by people that get the wrong impression of what Paul is saying here. Um, Good-hearted believers conclude that we're stuck in an endless cycle of sin and frustration and wretchedness, along with Paul, who said that he couldn't do what he wanted to do, and he, always, he couldn't do the good he wanted to do, and he always did the bad that he didn't want to do. And I want to put the scripture up here, in, in, um, if, if we could. This is uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 14. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am too, all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself for what I want to do, or for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Now, is Paul really that bad? Is Paul really saying, I can't do the good I want to do and I always do the thing I don't want to do? Uh, well, he's saying that, but he's using a particular literary teaching tool. I'm going to try to pronounce this. This is something that, this, this phrase is something that uh, Shane Leisure taught me recently. It's a teaching tool, and it's called prosopoipia. That's the best I can do, prosopoipia. It basically means that I'm setting up this imaginary person, and I'm going to talk like I'm him. Does that make sense? So let's just say I'm talking to you, and I say, so I jump out of an airplane, and I forget to put on my parachute, and so I fall at hundreds of miles per hour, and I hit the ground, and there's nothing but a greasy spot left. Now, did I actually do that? No. But I'm talking in first person like it's happening to me. I forgot to put on my parachute. I'm, I'm jumping out of an airplane. I hit the ground. Of course, I'm still standing here. That didn't happen to me. It's no truer for Paul that he does the thing he's, things he hates and doesn't do the things he wants to do than it is that I fell out of an airplane. So I want to look at the context of what Paul is saying in Romans 7. Um, 
in, the, in between chapters 6 and 8 because chapters 6 and 8 basically help to understand Romans 7. In fact, part of Romans 7 helps to understand Romans 7 uh, in terms of, of what Paul is not saying in terms of him being that person stuck in sin, stuck in the cycle of sin and condemnation. First of all, right out of the gate in, in chapter 6, Paul says in verse 2, you died to sin. Did, did he die to sin too? Well, yeah, because he's a Christian and, and the same principles that apply to the people he's talking to apply to him. You died to sin, Paul says. How can you live in it any longer? Verse 11 of chapter 6, you died with Christ to sin. Therefore, reckon yourself dead to sin, but alive unto God in Christ Jesus. He says um, in, in verse um, 14, you are no longer under the law, but under grace. You're not under the law anymore. You're under grace. In Romans chapter 7, verse 4, you died with Christ to the demands of the law. Okay, you died with Christ to the demands of the law. And so in the first several verses of chapter 7, Paul is basically saying this, look, in the same way that a woman is bound to her husband until he dies, if she sleeps with another man or tries to marry another man, she commits adultery because he's still alive. But if the husband dies, she's released from her husband. She's free to marry whomever she wants to. In the same way, in Christ, you died to the law. The law has no jurisdiction over you any longer. The law has nothing to say to you because Jesus has already paid your penalty for breaking the law. Amen. And you died with him and you've been raised with him on the other side of the law. And you don't owe the law anything. And see, the new covenant that we celebrated this morning is, is uh, it's spelled out in Jeremiah chapter 31 where uh, Jeremiah, speaking for the Lord, says... You, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel. And by the way, we're spiritual Israel. We've been adopted into, we've been grafted into uh, uh, the real Israel, which is the people of God. And Gentiles and Jews together, those who believe in Christ, are now together as one as the new Israel. So here's what's being said in the new covenant. I'm going to make a new covenant, and I'm going to write my laws on your heart and on your mind. And I will remember your sins no more. I, I, will, I will remember your sins no more. In other words, I'm going to put my heart not on stone tablets, but inside of you. The Spirit of God has come and he has, has given us the, the law, the one law, basically, of love. I think it was uh, Richard Foster that says, um, uh, love... I mean, genuine love, agape love, love with agape love and live like you want to. Like, in other words, if you're living in agape love, which is a Christ-centered, Holy Spirit-generated uh, love, then you're going to live well. You're going to live well. And, and you don't need a bunch of laws to tell you how to live. And so Paul basically is saying at the beginning of Romans 7, you died to the law, and now you live in the new... Uh, in the new way of the Spirit, and you're going to bear fruit to God as you live in the Spirit. But he says, if you go on trying to keep the law, here's what this is going to look like. And he, he talks about how impossible it is in our own strength to keep the law. 
Now, Romans 8 says, The law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. The law was powerless to make us holy, even though the law itself is holy, righteous, and good. It was, it was, a, um, it was a ministry of condemnation. Even though it's a ministry of holiness, it's also a ministry of condemnation because as we look at the law, we see how beautiful it is and how good it is and how righteous it is, but we can't keep it in our own strength. And so Paul says we've been delivered from that. The law was powerless to make us holy, righteous, or good, but God made us holy, righteous, and good because he sent Jesus to become sin, a sin offering. We read about that this morning in Isaiah and he condemned sin in us, not us, but our sin. And he nailed sin to the cross. And now in Christ, the righteous requirements of the law have been satisfied, who now live according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. And finally, I'll read this one last thing. In verse 12, he says, We are no longer obligated to live according to the flesh, breaking the law, but, but by the indwelling spirit of God, we put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. Paul is not schizophrenic. He's not saying on the one hand, we died to sin and we're no longer obligated to live according to the flesh. But every time I try to do what's good, I sin. And every time I try to do what's not good, uh, I mean, every time, yeah, either, either way, trying to do what's good or trying not to do what's bad, I still end up sinning. That's not what he's saying in terms of his current situation. And he's telling us we're free from that lifestyle. We're free from that, that constant falling before sin. We are now living in a spirit. We're, we no longer have to live according to the law. We no, have to, no longer have to do this in our own strength and flesh because Christ has done it for us and he's given us his spirit to live in the will of God, to live out the will of God and to put to death those things that used to stumble us. Does that make sense? Romans 7, pe people just, you know, they're always saying, oh, yeah, I'm just like Paul. I just do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do those things I want to do, and I'm just a wretched person, and, you know, I'm just, oh, woe is me. And that's not what Paul is saying at all. He's saying you used to live like that when you tried to keep the law, but the law didn't make you holy. Only the Spirit of God and the sacrifice of Christ can do that. That's what's being said. So Romans 7 is a straw man set up by Paul to illustrate what trying to be godly in one's own strength looks like and, and leads to, and it's utter disaster, by the way. If you try to, to, to make yourself better uh, in your own strength, you'll, you'll fail every time. So this is what the, the, the chapter on self-denial is talking about. If we try to suppress our flesh in our own strength, we're going to blow it every time. So when we're born into Christ, before a person is born into Christ, sin is just what you do. You've, you've all been there or known someone that's been there. I got saved really early in life, and so I, I never really sowed a lot of wild oats um, you know, in, in, in my pre-Christ years because I was only four or five years old when I came to Christ. So there's not a lot. Of, you know, I beat up my brother a lot, I guess. I lied a couple of times and got caught. But um, I can't think of much that I did worse than that, uh, although I'm not sure beating up my brother was that bad. Uh, no, I, I'm kidding. Um, but, but um, well, you don't know my brother, see? But anyway, he's, he's a lot better now than he was when he was little, but um, he was really annoying as a child. 
Jesus understands. That's what I'm saying. But anyway, uh, where was I? I lost my total, totally lost my place. Uh, yeah, so, so when, when, when you sin as a sinner, before you come to Christ, that's just what you do, right? If you're an alcoholic, you just drink. If you, if you like to feel high, you smoke weed. You know, if you, if you like to experience sensual uh, pleasures, you know, you, you uh, sleep around. You, you know, you just, and, and, it, and it seems right. It seems okay. You know, you're having fun. And sin is really fun for a season. I mean, it, there's a lot of fun in sin. There's a, there's a reason people sin, right? Uh, so, some of it's medicating emotional pain, but some of it's just it feels good. So we're going to do it. But when you come to Christ, there's a, there's a change that takes place. And you begin to, because the Holy Spirit writes those, his, his law of love on your heart, you begin to stop liking that stuff. And your friends think you're crazy. If, if you've run with a wild bunch, they're like, what happened to you? Tom and Rita Nepper that used to be uh, elders at our church, and they were here for decades. Uh, Tom's now with the Lord, and, and uh, Rita's in Arizona, so they're both kind of in heaven. But anyway, uh, uh, they came to Christ in their uh, early 30s, and they were partiers. Man, they loved to party with their friends. And they would drink until they got drunk, and they would have card parties. And, and uh, at a certain point, you know, they, they wouldn't even understand what they were doing with the cards because they were so, you know, filled with intoxication or whatever. So, but they loved that stuff. And then all of a sudden, they came to Christ in the early 70s, and they stopped. They just stopped doing that stuff immediately. Like we, we, and, and their friends literally thought they had lost their minds. They thought the Moonies had gotten them, you know. And so they, they, they just stop. But what happens is we begin to not like sin anymore. Uh, we, we begin to, to really want to please God, but we don't know how. You know, that stuff has to be tra- you know, taught well, and then the Holy Spirit takes time to, tra- to do the transformation from living according to the flesh to living according to the Spirit. We, that second chapter on time talks all about that. But as, a, as, as, as Christ followers, we want to rid ourselves of sin, and it's not just its guilt and, 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 um, and, 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 and the grief that it causes us, but we want to be freed from its power and bondage. See, there's, there's guilt for, uh, for, for acts of sin. We feel guilty, and we feel sorrowful, uh, and we don't like that. And so we, we want to be forgiven for that. That's what the blood does. It takes care of that. But then there's still there's this power and bondage of sin that's kind of a slave master. And for a while, we still suffer from that. But like the straw man in Romans 7, we go about it in the completely wrong way. We, we, we try to get on the elevator of self-improvement and self-denial and uh, self-renovation and all our f- other forms of self-effort, and we get off the elevator just, same, just like we were when we got on, you know, because the, we're, we're in a self-improvement program, and it just doesn't work. So I want to talk about the ways not to be transformed from self and flesh into the image and likeness of Christ. The book calls uh, this chapter Self-Denial, and that's in contrast to uh, it's, a, it's a man-centered method of dealing with the self-life in contrast to a God-centered way of dealing with self 
and uh, in the flesh. And so let me just say that most of the things I'm about to read as ways not to be transformed are also good things, most of them are good things, that the Holy Spirit does use uh, to help us move along that line of, 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 um, of spiritual growth. But these are not the, the yay-all, end-all, or however you say that, of, of dealing with flesh and dealing with the self-life. So these are good things, most of them, but they won't, they won't, de- they, they won't ultimately deal with the death blow to the self-life or the flesh. The first is just good old self-denial, where, where people deny themselves of human interaction, human comfort, human, you know, like any kind of pleasures. Uh, many people have, through the centuries, have withdrawn from the world to live in the desert, to live in a monastery, to just get away from, you know, normal life so that they can be holy. And uh, so, so they retreat to... You know, this, this world where the entire, uh, you know, civilization is kind of like buffered from their existence. Um, that's what Martin Luther, the great reformer, did. He, he was trying, he, he was with a friend one day, and he was, a, he was in, in college. He was, you know, this is 1500s, but he was in college. He was at the university, and uh, he was in law school. Brilliant man. And he and his buddy were walking, uh, just taking a walk out in nature one day, and lightning struck a tree and, ki- and, and came through and killed his friend. And he's standing there looking at his dead friend, thinking, what if that had been me? Where would I be right now? Because he had no fear of God in him until that moment. And suddenly he's filled with the fear of God, and he begins to try to make himself holy. He starts going to church. He starts reading, you know, uh, books on you know how to be a, a godly person and nothing seemed to help so he ended up in a monastery and uh he had a father confessor he would confess his sins to this guy he wore this poor guy out confessing his sins and and his father confessor said look dude you've confessed every sin you've ever committed multiple times you know just let you know just let go of this you know and he says i can't i don't feel forgiven there's something wrong. I, don't, I still don't feel forgiven. And it wasn't until he discovered uh, the book of Romans and he read about grace the first time and he read about we're saved through faith in Christ that the penny dropped for him and he was able to accept forgiveness of Christ and, and ended up being born again. But, you know, that was one of the, the ways that he tried. And, and, we, and, and a lot of people do this uh, without going to a monastery, just not watching movies, uh, not eating uh, good food. Uh, there, there was a community. I lived in Danville, Kentucky, for uh, for a couple of years, uh, and and then went to seminary not far away. So there was this town called not far from Wilmore and Danville called Shaker Town. Anybody know what the Shakers were? Okay, a few of you. The Shakers were a very devout group of Christians, not unlike say the um, Mennonites, or I mean the really super conservative Mennonites, or the Amish. It was a group kind of like that, but they had determined that uh, even marital sexuality was forbidden. And so for some reason, within a generation, the movement kind of died out. (laughs) But the Shaker Village remained, and uh, it was kind of a museum, and you could walk through the little 
buildings that were on the grounds there where the Shakers were and, and actually eat a nice meal, not prepared by Shakers, but, you know, in, in uh, very similar to what they ate, but kind of like going to Dirt Dutchman. It was really good. But anyway, yeah, so, so all kinds of ways to just push the flesh down, deny the flesh. Then there's uh, what we call conquest growth, where we're just going to attend more church meetings, and we're going to pray more, and we're going to study the Bible more, and we're going to go to more small groups, and we're going to do more of whatever it takes to beat our flesh down and become more godly. We're just going to do more church activities. We're going to volunteer more. We're going to feed the poor more. We're going we're gonna, to uh, do all these good things, and, and you know... Um, those things are not bad in and of themselves, and the Holy Spirit can certainly use those things. But did you know that the flesh, the self-life, kind of flourishes in that because it makes it look really good? And self likes to look really good, and self likes to hear how hard we're working, and self likes to hear how holy we are. And so after the service, I want you to come up and tell myself how good I did this morning when I preached and how much better I am than Dennis. I know that's not going to happen, but anyway. Then there's good old Christian training, you, you know, training in the home, training in Christian school, training in Sunday school, you know, training and just saturating in Christian culture and listening to Christian worship music and, and not, never listening to that, you know, evil radio that goes anywhere beyond, you know, just worship stuff. And, you know, I mean, it, it's so just, you know, Christian training uh, or, or revival meetings, just... Um, where you go to these meetings and you just confess your sins and you rededicate your life to the Lord and surrender to the Lordship of Christ over and over and over and over ad, ad, ad nauseum, whatever. Um, there's a, just, you know, like I said about Martin Luther, just constantly confessing our sins. Oops, I sinned again. I confess that again and again and again. And there's nothing wrong with confessing sin. There's nothing wrong with most of what I've said. It just doesn't work to, to put to death the self-flesh flesh part of us. And now I'll just mention one last thing. Spiritual experiences. Now, I believe in spiritual experiences. In the early 70s, my mom got filled with the Holy Spirit. She got filled with the Spirit. I love that. I love that, the whole baptism of the Spirit thing. And uh, she, she was an ex-Catholic that went to a meeting and some charismatic speaker got up and he preached this great message and he invited people to come down and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And my mom got filled. I mean, really good. And uh, I, so I was like 15 years old when this happened. And you know how 15-year-olds feel about their parents usually, you know. I, they were not cool. And uh, my mom was especially not cool. And, uh, and yet... She started teaching high school, sun, high school Sunday school class not long after she was filled with the Spirit. And I refused to go. I refused to go to Sunday school until this cheerleader I had a crush on came up to me and said, Neil, I just really would love if you would come and to Sunday school and hear your mom teach. She's amazing. And I just melted in a puddle. And the next, the next week I was there, I was at Sunday school. And it was one of those deals like, Okay, so who are you and what have you done with my mother? You know what I'm saying? She, she was just, compl- I mean, like the mom at home that cooked, cooked my meals and washed my clothes was different than this lady that was teaching my Sunday school class because this lady was anointed of the Spirit, and what she was teaching was like 
it was convicting me. It was drawing me closer to the Lord. And I just remember uh, 15, 16 years old, really, really like wanting to go after the Lord and wanting what my mom had. And so I believe in spiritual experiences. I believe in that. Uh, my, my, I would pass by the bathroom door. My mom would be taking a bath. She'd be praying in tongues. I'd be like, what happened? Until one day I had strep throat and uh, I told her about it. And uh, she laid her hands on my throat, started praying in tongues, and God healed me. And uh, even though I wanted to punch her, I was like, dang, well, something's going on here. So I was all about that, you know. But, um, but spiritual experiences are not going to completely eradicate the flesh. It's just not going to happen. There's only one thing. There's only one thing that's going to do that. And um, Dennis is going to, he gets to be the good cop again. I'm the bad cop talking about what doesn't work. Next week, he's going to be talking about what does work. But I'm going to steal his thunder and just go ahead and say this. Watchman Nee says this. He says, The blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin. But the blood of Jesus will not cleanse you from yourself. Only the cross does that. Well, I thought the cross was where Jesus died and spilled his... Yeah, he died for us on the cross. His blood was poured out. He the blood of the lamb cleansed us white as snow from our sins. But sin and self and flesh is dealt with when we died with Christ on the cross. He killed the old man. He killed the self-life. He killed that there. Now here's the, the obvious. Yeah, so Watchman Nee says the blood of Jesus dealt with our sins. The cross of Jesus deals with our self. So, so the obvious question is, well, but myself still feels very much alive and I'm a Christian. Have I missed something? Well, yes and no. <laughs> it's both. And for years I missed it too because I thought that something was wrong with me because if Paul says, how can we go on sinning if we died with Christ to sin? Reckon yourselves dead to sin, but alive unto God in Christ Jesus. You're no longer a slave to sin. All those things. And, I'm, and we're no longer obligated to live according to the flesh. And so I'm like, but I still sin. And I'm still prideful. And I'm still, I, still have, I still desire things I shouldn't. And I still don't want to do things I should. And, you know, what is, what is wrong with me? Well, it's basically that I haven't fully grasped the gospel I haven't fully appropriated the truth. And so my experience makes me think that Romans 6 and Romans 8 and other passages of Scripture, like Colossians 1, you died, with, you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You know, it's like I feel very much alive in the flesh. So either my experience is a lie or the Word of God is a lie. And I'm going to tell you, God cannot lie. So I'm basically living a lie if I'm living in, in, in sin. And the Holy Spirit wants to cause me to embrace the truth of the Scriptures and allow that to begin to transform my life. Jesus said in, in John, or, yeah, John 8, If you are my disciple... You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. 
My experience may be one of continual sin, but the truth is I died to sin, and as I begin to embrace that, and as I begin to say, Holy Spirit, make that real in my life, he begins to, to transform me, and the cross has already been applied to my, my life. I already died with Christ, but I'm beginning to appropriate the truth, and as I do that, the truth sets me free, and I no longer have to be dragged around by the neck by sin and temptation. Does that make sense? The cross is already dead. I died with Christ 2,000 years ago. My sin was paid for 2,000 years ago. The old man was crucified 2,000 years ago. And as I believe that and as I embrace that, I begin to live that. Because that's the truth that sets me free. I'll just close with this illustration. Uh, and I'll, I'll, let me read this scripture, and then I'll close it. So if you could put up the Colossians uh, 2 scripture for me. Colossians 2.20 says this, You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. Why do you keep on following the rules of the world such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help, no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Only the cross does that. Okay, so this time of year, if you're like me, you look out the window at this beautiful lawn. Steve Fry calls it April grass because it's so green. He's a, you know, he... Uh, he and his family have owned a, uh, a lawn care service forever. And he loves these little yellow flowers I'm about to talk about, but I hate them. So I look out the window, and I see these little intruders out there, these little yellow flowers, and they're mocking me. <laughs> so I get out there, and I get my lawnmower, and I mow them down. I just cut their heads right off. Put my mower up. I feel very, very good at this point. Two days later, there's twice as many. They grew back in the same spot, only there's twice as many flowers now, and they're just mocking me. And you can do two things. You can spray them, which is what Steve does, or you can actually go up, because if you cut the flower off, you're not changing anything. You're actually pruning these little things. <laughs> you got to go to the root. You got to pull them up by the root. The flowers represent sins that we commit. The root represents sin and self. That's where the, the, the flowers of sins spring from. Jesus dealt with the flowers with his blood. He dealt with the root by co-crucifixion. He's done the work. And as we embrace and believe the truth, he transforms us and the root and the flowers die. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.